0: Welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. I am John Schmoke. He is Lance Meadow. The phone number for you is 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light. And Lance, obviously a big day in Giants land. The announcement came down yesterday that the Giants and Olo Beckham Jr. had agreed to a contract extension um, and... Boy, uh, a very glorious and happy day for Odo <laughs> Beckham Jr. Uh, we started a couple minutes late because he was just out there meeting the media. He finished up around 158, so he kind of ran in. in it very and close. And talked about the show. Uh, to, and to do the show, he talked about his contract, obviously. So uh, let's get into some of the stuff he talked about. Obviously, the, the Giants don't disclose the, the, the terms of the contract, so we're not going to go through some of the numbers um, with you. But, needless to say, it's long and it's sizable. Uh, to quote Dave Gettleman, <laughs> they have him under control until he's about 104. Yeah. I, thi- I think he said 108, oh, 108 actually. Yeah, 108, my bad. You're shorted in four years, My bad. So he'll be here for the duration of the prime years of his career. Um, and then And some. he's being paid handsomely. We'll leave it at that. And, he, and without doing terms... By any actual measure, he's the highest paid wide receiver in football, which is what they talked about at the press conference today. So, Lance, anything particularly? I got a couple things on my list that struck me, what he said today at his press conference. How about you?
1: Well, I think he put his career in perspective over the last few months. I think as he was going through practice, the rehab process also provided him with a mindset in terms of how important this offseason was, John, not just for the contract, but could be very well a turning point in his career, given the fact that he's striving to get back to where he was before the injury. So I think he did a nice job, you know, sort of summarizing all of that. And the term that jumped out to me, or the one line, was calculated risk. Ah, That was a good one for me, Okay, so I'm sorry that I'm stealing, perhaps, what you were going to throw out. That was the one term that jumped out to me. And just to provide context for the viewers— He was asked the question about, well, how much was the contract in the back of your mind when you're going out there in practice? You're coming off a serious ankle injury. God forbid you're re What does that mean for the contractual negotiation? He said it wasn't a risk. He corrected the reporter. He said it was a calculated risk. And what he spoke about, John, was it's easy to think when you go out in practice, you have familiarity with the personnel you're going up against. Okay? Eli Apple knows you're coming off an ankle injury. Janoris Jenkins knows you're coming off an ankle injury. He trust them, they trust him, and that relationship allowed him to be aggressive and also prove to the organization that he was ready to go. So I think those dynamics was a big part in helping him stay on routine leading up to this contract.
0: Well, and I think he also understood the importance in showing the organization that he was growing up. And he said a couple times during that press conference that, I'm growing up, I'm starting to understand I'm becoming more mature. And, and we've always talked about on the show, to me, it, he was never a bad guy. It was the immaturity that sometimes um, kind of came up and caused problems for him, whether it was not controlling his emotions, whatever the case might be. And I think he's becoming more of an adult. He was only a couple years out of being a teenager when the Giants drafted him. So, yeah. And he understood that for him to get the type of contract he got now. And based on what John Mara said in the release that we threw out there yesterday, the way he has comported himself over the past five or six months since the offseason training program began played a role in the Giants' understanding that he is growing up. He's becoming more of an adult in how he handles himself, how he works, and how he does all that. Remember, folks, he was healthy. He wasn't here for a good portion of the voluntary workouts last year. He wasn't. That was his choice. He didn't have to be here, and it's fine. You can't penalize him for it, but that was his choice. He worked out on his own. So what was different? He understood that, you know what, maybe it's important for me to be here. And he talked about the younger guys watching him and how he worked and trying to set a good example for them. And he's become – he just seems happier to me. You know, he, he always seemed kind of a, a little annoyed, maybe moody sometimes. This whole offseason, he's been smiling. Paul Dettino asked a question. He's been, you know, interacting with the kids, just having fun. And it just looks like he's so happy. And it's easy to be happy when you get the, the big money contract. But he was happy for the five months before that, when he was still coming back from the ankle injury. And I think you throw that all that together, and that's how something like this gets done. And I saw, I, I saw a tweet. From, and it annoyed me a little bit. What else is new? Well, shocking. <laughs> I think I think it was Pro Football Talk. And Mike Florio does a good job, but I think he's way off base on this. He said. He talked about the parameters of the contract, and he made an asinine point how he likes Sammy Watkins' contract better, which to me is insanity, given Odell Beckham has twice the number of guaranteed money on his deal. So what happens if both guys have catastrophic injuries? Odell's going to have twice the amount of guaranteed money. So I thought that point was stupid, first of all. But the second point that bothered me, oh, he got a good fair contract, but can you imagine how good it would have been if he would have played hardball and not shown up and done anything? Well, Guess what? If he would have showed up, played hardball, and not done anything... I'm not sure the contract he got would have even been on the table. Because I think and that's why he called it a calculated risk. Yeah. He understood that he had a role in getting this contract done, the same way the Giants had a role in getting this contract done. And I think both sides operated in good faith. And that's how you get to a situation like you have today, where you have a contract that fits, it's fair to both sides, something Otto Beckham Jr. also said during the press conference today. And it works, and it makes sense, and everybody's happy.
1: Yeah, And it's one less thing to have questions as the season gets into the meat and potatoes, as I like to call it, the meaningful stuff. But what you were alluding to, John, fresh slate is a terminology that Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer utilized when they both took over. The fresh slate also was connected to Odell Beckham. He had an opportunity for a fresh slate because he now was building a relationship with two new individuals who he had no established relationship with. I mean, this wasn't Jerry Reese. This wasn't Ben McAdoo. So I mean, Dave he Gettleman took, wasn't here when Odell Beckham Jr. was drafted. Correct. Exactly. Made clear for the fans so they there. were both getting to know each other over the course right. of this offseason And I also think that that played a role into Odell Beckham's mindset sure. about being around here. Because it's one thing if, you know, you're negotiating with individuals who have known you through the draft process. I, that's a little bit different. Maybe you take the relationship for granted. They know where you're coming from. You know where they're coming from. He doesn't know Dave Gettleman. He doesn't know Pat Shermer. So being around, strengthen the relationship, mutual respect was built, and I think that's why you got to the contract. The other thing and that And he I, spoke about, by the way, how important
0: it was for Shermer to come out to California and stuff too in regard
1: to that. Absolutely, and Shermer even echoed sure, those sentiments he when he spoke to the media. He said, listen, I got to know all my players this offseason. The other thing that I think Odell Beckham realized... He's been playing football for a long time. He's been playing football since he was a little kid. He even reflected on photos that Jarvis Landry's been putting up all over social media to sort of put in perspective, hey, these were the goals that both of them set in motion, and coincidentally, this offseason, both guys got long-term extensions from their respective teams. But he also talked about, John, going through the rehab process and falling asleep downstairs in his place and having to crawl up the stairs because he couldn't put any weight on his foot. And the reason I bring that up is not to get sentimental. The reason I'm bringing that up is, and I think everybody can relate to this, whether you're young, you're old, you're a professional, you're an amateur. When something you love is taken away from you, I think that opens up your horizons and really puts things in perspective and gives you a new light on things. And I think old Del Beckham saw the light this offseason.
0: And Lance, that's why I'm going to... And I'm not sure you meant it this way, but I'll, I'll not take issue. But I'll disagree with you on one thing. You said this contract could be the turning point of Beckham's career. Dude, you know I think the turning point of his career is going to be that ankle injury, because I really do That's think fair. that changed his mindset. And he's talked about this a couple times now this offseason, how not being able to play and crawling up those stairs and you know having to work hard to get back, you know, it's precious. It, it's precious, you know, being able to do stuff like this, and it's a privilege. It isn't a right. You don't get this. You earn this, and you have to work hard to keep it. And you have to do the right things to keep it. And we've seen other guys where, whether it's bad luck, before they sign that big contract, look at Steve Smith when he was here. He got injured. It happens. You know, nobody's fault. It just happens. Um, Hakeem Nix never got that big contract. And other guys have self-inflicted wounds where they cost themselves a chance to have a big payday. And I think he understood that, look, he trusted the Giants that if he came in and did things the right way, that they would reward him. And the Giants rewarded him. That's how an organization builds a relationship with their players. And moving forward now, I, I think I would hope that the other players on this roster, whenever their contract situation happens to you know come up, that they saw the way Beckham operated. That sets an example for them. Because they saw how the Giants treated with Beckham in good faith, and the deal got worked out. One of two a couple other points, Lance. One, I loved when Beckham was asked about, I forget what the question was exactly, but he basically answered by saying, I don't really think I've accomplished anything yet. And he said, despite all the numbers and the success and the touchdowns and the stats and all that stuff, that... I really haven't accomplished a lot. And I've said this on the show before. I've seen Arnold Beckham have games where he's had, you know, eight catches for 120 yards and two touchdowns. And, you know, me and Bob Papa go into that locker room after the game, and the Giants lost, which happened more than you would like over the last four years when when Beckham's been here. And he's despondent. He's not happy that he got his numbers. He's mad that the team lost. So... That stuff, and I think that goes back to where he says, I haven't accomplished anything. And he hasn't won a playoff game yet with the Giants. What's the whole point of this whole thing? It's to win. And he hasn't won yet. And I think that's why he answered that question the way he did. And I think it further shows the type of perspective that he has moving forward. And another media member asked him the question, Lance, um, how do you avoid complacency? A lot of guys get their money and then they relax. And he goes, yeah, I have talked to myself about that. And that's something that... Has it really been an option for me? Now, obviously, I don't think that's a... I don't think anybody just checks the boxes. And says, oh, I don't got to try anymore. This is great. Yeah. It's more of a subconscious thing. Of course. But he never struck me as a guy based on how hard we've seen him work at his craft that that would be an issue for him.
1: Well, and he's always been known as a great practice player, John, and he even attested to that, and I don't think that's hyperbole. I don't think anybody's ever questioned Odell Beckham's effort in practice before and after the injury. No, not here. So, not here for you sure. You know, that shows a guy that's striving mm-hmm. very hard. The other thing that's related to what you were bringing up I don't remember all the players that the reporter listed, but he was asking Odell about what does it mean to now be put in the same category as some of the great franchise players, the Lawrence Taylors. Eli, right. But what's the difference, John? Speaking of the lack of accomplishment, those guys have the hardware. He doesn't. So I think he understands that. If I now truly want to be in line with those other greats, I've got to get the job done from a team perspective. The other thing that I wanted to throw out that I think was also important with respect to Odell Beckham and and what he was talking about is the, the fact that the motivation now is evident in terms of wanting to accomplish something for the team, which is what you were touching on. And the other thing was, Social media doesn't tell the whole story, John, but I think it's very interesting that their overwhelming emotion that the team showed in the wake of Odell Beckham getting the contract I think says a lot about how the locker room looks at Odell Beckham compared to the narrative that we are constantly having thrown in our faces over the last few years since Odell Beckham joined the team.
0: Yeah, this is not a situation where half the locker room hates him, the other half likes him. You know, this isn't Terrell Owens splintering locker rooms here. This yeah. is... In my years here, you can say a lot of things about the guy. He's always been very popular in that locker room, always because I think they see how hard he works. And I had somebody called him Bob Poppper's show this morning on Sirius, and they said, "I don't think he loves football. It's the biggest load of garbage I've ever heard in my whole life. Look, you can criticize him for a lot of things. Not loving football,
1: that is just ridiculous. Well, but if he if you, loves
0: to play,
1: and here's the thing, John, if he didn't love football then why would he even get back on the field and practice before a contract type of thing? He wouldn't. If anything, I would just be milking my time on the sideline to rehab and saying, guys, I'll return to the field when I want to return to the field. That's not a sign of somebody that doesn't love football. So, you know, I think when people throw those things out or make those statements, part of it may be they just dislike what the player stands for, Correct, who the player yes. is, and that's fine. Listen, we all have our biases, we all have our opinions.
0: And if you could say you hate his antics, his dances, and that bothers you, rubs you the wrong way, that's fine. That's your opinion, but don't start turning into him not trying course, hard and not, not loving football. and twisting and turning yes, and this yes, and that. Yes, yes. And,
1: and I've always said this about Odell Beckham, and I understand he is a popular figure, so obviously the attention's going to come with him. Emotion to me on the sidelines is not necessarily a negative connotation of who the player is. It's an emotional game. It, it depends how you utilize the emotions. Uh, it, yeah. Of course it does, but what I'm saying is, is that if the emotion on the sideline is not affecting the other individuals on the team, John, and is not affecting the other individuals on the team in terms of their production on the field, or, then that to me is more of just an isolated incident correct. between the player and his emotions. And
0: also affecting his own performance, too, I think is important. Well,
1: because of course, if, if he can't minds, necessarily then, stay correct. concentrated in the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But listen, John, there were games over the last two years in particular because that's where I think he's been put under the microscope the most where Hotel Beckham, has put up the numbers, but he still has had some emotional outbursts on the sideline. Sure. So it's not necessarily hand-in-hand. Hand. When you have an emotional outburst, it means you can't produce on the football field. Those two, to me, could be very separate. They're not necessarily in line with one another. Um, two
0: other narratives I think this destroys. And I want to get your take on what John Mara said, because I was not yeah. out there to listen to that, and you were. So I have I, no idea what he said. So I, <laughs> so I want to get your take on what he said and find out what he said. Um, but first, two narratives and you know who you are, callers. Charlie. Um, (laughs) That the team was treating him with disrespect, lowballing him, and this was going to blow up, and you're going to lose him, and the organization was not treating him right, and all blah, 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 blah. If you did that, I want you to call in and say I was wrong. When we make mistakes here, and we get something wrong about a player, we come on and say we were wrong. So, please. You talk about things you don't know, and you're assuming things that you don't know were true. And I think it, it... Talks to the narrative thing that you like to talk about a lot, Lance, where people get an idea of what reality is when they don't actually have the first hand experience or the knowledge to know what that reality is and they just assume their version of that reality is true. Like I had somebody tweet me today, like, when a Wise Jonathan Hankins signed, and I go, Well, maybe he wants more money than the teams willing to offer. He goes, Oh, I know it's not a financial thing. How do you know that?
1: <laughs> well, you probably you, you probably were talking to Jonathan Hankins' agent. Well. <laughs> That's who you were talking to. Um, unless I was talking to <laughs> Hankins or Hankins' to his agent, agent, then you don't know.
0: So it's very important, folks, to know what you don't know and know what you know. Um, and the other thing I think this blows up, which was a stupid concept to begin with already, because of the fact that he was responsible for signing Cam Newton to make a contract in Carolina, was that Dave Gettleman can't get along with star players, and that's going to drive Otto Beckham Jr. out of New York. Crap, nonsense, garbage, okay? Always was, still is. So let's throw those two pieces of, you know, let's throw those narratives in the trash and just, you know,
1: (laughs) get (laughs) rid of that. There we go. It's over. Yeah, ruin the studio that people can't see. It's over. Yes, Yes. absolutely. No, I think that's a fair point. That's it, because we got a lot of those calls. Absolutely. In the when you look at the track record, you, you yeah. see Josh Norman and the franchise tag was pulled. But that's another example. Every player is different. Yep. You can't just group all players together. Steve Smith. The other reason why I wouldn't compare Steve Smith to Odell Beckham is Steve Smith was at the tail end of his DeAndre career. D'Angelo Williams, same deal. D'Angelo Williams, another one, tail end of his career. Yeah. Yet, with that being said, Jonathan Stewart hung around in Carolina forever.
0: Dude, he just gave Cam Newton the house. Yeah. I mean, come on.
1: It doesn't necessarily add up. but what, uh, what
0: again, it, uh, Let me get this in first.
1: We want to remind yes. you
0: that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. What did John Mara have to well, say? Well,
1: John Mara said a few things that I thought were interesting. Number one, he said the team was prepared to get the contract done before the start of the season, but was also prepared to go through the season mm-hmm. without a long-term deal and sign him after the fact. What swung their influence was what we talked about. Seeing how hard he was practicing here at the facility, but also John Mara focused on the fact that him going out to Detroit, John, taking part in the joint practices with an unfamiliar opponent, not shying away from that, not being hesitant, was almost the icing on the cake. Those are my words, not his, but that's what I'm reading into it. So it was a show of good faith which we're talking about the mutual respect. And the front office found that to be a significant gesture on his part. Absolutely. Okay. Him being aggressive and showing that he was back to the old old Dell Beckham. Because, listen, like anybody, if you own a team and you're investing in a commodity— and I understand that term is used a lot. you got to make sure who you're investing in, John, that, that is <laughs> he's looking fresh and good. Big check. Yeah. You don't want to give a big check to somebody you're not positive so about. So that's why you can't blame anybody. And this is not oh. just for the Giants, John. This is for any organization. I want to see the player get back on the practice field. I want to see what he could do, how fast he runs, how good he looks. And... I think Odell Beckham essentially checked just about every box through practice that made the Giants feel comfortable. But they were weighing their options, and they said they were comfortable going about the negotiations in a variety of different ways. The other thing that he addressed, which was a narrative that we had not talked about, but you, I think, hinted at it with respect to the disrespect, there were a lot of rumors about that the Giants were dangling him out there on the trade market, if you recall. And that went on throughout the entire offseason and so forth. So John Mara was specifically asked about that, and he said— when you have a 3-13 and 13 team, you would be foolish as an owner and management to not listen to anything when it comes to a team and label everybody as untouchable. He must have listened to BBK back Would in be February. unwilling. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know necessarily if he was right. out of his ear. But, th- but those are the similar things we were saying on the show. Meaning yeah. when your team struggles and you don't have a good season— Any good manager Mm -hmm. keeps their options open. What if someone knocks on the door and offers you three number ones? Of course. So you listen. Yeah. But there's a difference in terms of listening versus you being the aggressor, John, and dangling a player out there and say, all right, let's start the bidding. Who's going to be the highest bidder? And we've got to get the bidding done because we're going to close it on eBay on Thursday. (laughs) So there are two different things. (laughs) You could basically say, hey, you want to make us an offer? Well, listen, that doesn't mean we have the urgency to get rid of a player. So he basically just sold the fact that when your team struggles, you have to keep all options open when it comes to transactions. So
0: those are the most those
1: significant takeaways. Those, to me, were okay. by far the biggest takeaways. All right.
0: yeah. you want to do some calls? Absolutely. Let's 201-939-4513. Maine, but that's not Charlie. It's Jason. Thank Jason, goodness. what's up? Hey, guys. How you doing? What's up, pal?
1: All right, Jason.
2: I'm about five hours from Charlie. <laughs> that's good
1: for you. By the way, you should be six, though. That's what say, you should be working on.
0: Try to get a little further away if you can. <laughs> Maine's a big state. Yeah,
1: <laughs> well, it's not big enough apparently.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, just wondering, can you guys just give us like a uh, an analysis so far of what you've seen from our, our safety so far? Like, uh, do you have a, a deep level of concern, or do you think that we're going to be okay where we are?
1: You're talking about the position overall, right?
2: Yeah, like probably not landing Collins so much, right. but maybe the the other safeties that we have right now.
1: I think the guys that are best around
0: the line of scrimmage are probably Andrew Adams and Michael Thomas. Um, I've seen both guys be very aggressive in making tackles. Not surprising, giving Michael Thomas a special team skills. We've seen Andrew Adams do that type of stuff before. Um, I think William Gay is interesting because I don't – after watching him in the spring, I've had a lot of concerns about him covering as a cornerback. But can he transfer almost the same way Charles Woodson did when he played for the you know went from the Raiders to the resurrected Packers? Resurrected his career. As can an and again, I'm not saying you know he's a little bit older. He's 34. William Garrett, 33. Whatever he is, um, different situation. Not as talented player. I get it. But can he take those veteran smarts and transfer them to a safety position that you? are going to rely on a lot for coverage if you're putting Landon Collins and that Dion Buchanan-type role around the line of scrimmage. So he's been with the twos now for two straight weeks, William Gay. He played with the twos in the preseason game number three. I think he's interesting – Um, Obviously, Curtis Riley's been out there. People seem to like his smarts and organizational communication abilities from what I've seen. And he's another converted corner, by the way, John. Yeah, he did play some safety in Tennessee. But again, guys, he only played 12 games there. He never even started a game. I think he almost like 20-something career tackles. He didn't have a lot of experience coming here. He's been my biggest surprise, which we did not cover three the other day on Giants.com. And um, then the final guy is Darian Thompson, who has to get back on the field. Sideline. Yeah. Yeah. So... That's how I look at it. I don't think any of those guys, Jason, are going to be like, you know, Earl Thomas playmakers where they're getting eight, nine interceptions. What you want from that deep safety spot is when they're in position to make a tackle, they make the short tackle because they could be the last line of defense in a lot of situations. They have to take good angles when receivers catch the balls in front of them. Same deal. They could be the last line of defense. And they have to be able to make a play on the ball in the air. And I think that's what you're looking for. Don't make the big mistake that's going to kill the team. And I think that's what they want.
1: And they got to be able to communicate too, of course. which I, I think is really near yeah. the top of the list because you see the field, John, when you're a safety. Mm-hmm very differently than when you're the cornerback. I mean, I think, Jason, to answer your question, John, I think, gave you a great layout of pretty much all the personnel. But one thing that I will add is Michael Thomas, to your point, last preseason game, he was very aggressive at the line of scrimmage. I saw him make a play in the backfield. He's been an intriguing player to me. Uh, Curtis Riley. By the way, Michael Thomas is on the team simply because of his special
0: teams ability. Without a doubt. Whether
1: or not, what role he plays at safety, I don't know, but he's on the roster. I agree with you, but I I think that we can't just assume that he's just going to be a special teamer. Absolutely. And the reason why I throw that out, John, is, and I've talked about this on the show, and the coaching staff that's been tied to him with the Dolphins even talked about, when he came to Miami as a guy off the Niners practice squad, within two days, he knew enough on defense to make the game-winning interception against Tom Brady. You could put him out there. He could be a reliable jack-of-all-trades defensive player. Agreed. Curtis Riley... The guy that comes to mind, I'm not talking about build—is because you were saying, you know, can you expect him to get eight or nine interceptions? Well, did we really expect Stevie Brown a number of seasons back to be that opportunistic of a player? Sometimes guys surprise you because they're in the right place at the right time. Could we have another Stevie Brown-esque type of story? Because Stevie Brown didn't have a tremendous pedigree. You know, he didn't have a decorated resume. It's possible. I personally think James Betcher is not going into the season. This is my own personal opinion, John. And he's saying, you know what, Curtis Riley is going to be my every single down back safety next to Landon Collins. I think he's going to try to maximize the roster. Sure. And I think you'll see a little bit of Michael Thomas. You'll see a little bit of Andrew Adams and whoever else is fortunate enough to make this roster because versatility is a big part of his defense. He likes to move guys around, and that means that I don't think he's necessarily feeling I've got to settle on one guy in particular. Thank you, Jason. Okay, thanks. Appreciate it. Let's yeah. go to Duke and Queens online, too,
0: Brandon. What's going on? How are you, Duke?
3: Guys, what's up, man?
0: What's going on, Duke? Doing well, Duke.
3: Chilling, chilling. Um, really quick, I wanted to talk about uh, like a few things. I have two questions. Um, first of all, the uh, Odell contract. You know, he does, he definitely deserves it, and I don't mind paying him that much. The only thing I do mind is us overpaying. Well, not overpaying, but, but making a lot of guys the highest paid whatever at their position. That's the one thing I do mind because if if there is a position that I would love, and even players like Odell and Landon, I would love to give them a lot of money because they've been doing great. But if there is a position where I would want us to just to throw out some cash, it would be for me, it would be somebody on like the D line or a linebacker that can,
0: well, do, you know, that, that's
3: known for having a lot of sacks. I know, and I know like Nate told us we needed him, so we had to. You know, pay for him, but it's just it's just always him and like. No, but Duke, the, Duke, pa- team, dude, yeah. time
0: out, time out one second. Do, do you remember the contracts they gave Olivier Vernon and Jason Pierre Paul?
1: Yes, sir. They, 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 Those were pretty large. They were big quite the large. Yeah. <laughs> they were pretty large. And they, snacks, and too, by the way. Injury prone. Yeah. They set quite a few marks. And here's the other thing about the highest-paid player at his respective position. It won't be eight months from now. (laughs) Well, that's you just took the words out of my mouth. See, whenever people throw that out, and and I'm not accusing you, Duke, but I think what we have to understand is NFL contracts are about timing. Uh Now, Odell Beckham deserves... The contract. He's arguably one of the most talented wide receivers in the league. So he I'm not using him that as an top example. Tier, absolutely. But you can't. You can't look at the NFL as well. Why is Matt Ryan the highest-paid quarterback when he was? Or Jimmy Garoppolo, whatever. Well, because his agent went to the team and said, "Listen, so and so just got this contract. That's where we're going to start to negotiate. So therefore, the team." If they want to retain the services of their top quarterback, that's what the market calls for. So the Giants are in a position where you look at what Antonio Brown got, you look at what Julio Jones and so forth, and you're going to have to move the bar up. The next wide receiver is going to Move the bar ahead of Odell. For Beckham. example, Mike Evans had the, has the
0: biggest before this contract. Mike Evans had the biggest guarantee of his contract yeah. as of any wide receiver. Does
1: anyone think Mike Evans is the best wide receiver in football? No, it's no just, of when course he not. was due for a contract, he yeah. had the opportunity to set the market. So you you can't get caught up in highest paid. The Giants were on the clock right now. They had to pay their wide receiver, and that's what they had to do to get the job. The up. highest paid player isn't always the best player, Duke. Yeah,
0: I
3: don't mind that. It's just like we uh, you said, it's timing. All right, we're picking the wrong time to, play, to pay some of these guys
1: well hold but, on when when do you want to pay Odell Beckham then whenever you pay him you're paying you know, him I, the I most I
3: he's the exception I'm just saying it was the other guys that I had a problem like, well, like, who? like I, who though like,
1: but, but who OV. Ju- so mean, OV, OV but OV. it was free agency so Olivier Vernon was a free agent. When when would have been the appropriate timing to pay Olivier Vernon? How are you going to get him? You know, that's the it thing, was, Duke. If you want a premier pass
0: rusher in free agency, you're going to have to pay. It's a premium guys, you're position. this. on, guys. You're out.
3: Yo, OV, since he's came on the team, no offense. Like, he's played good. That's why we even went to 11-5. Uh, and five. But what have we been winning? We haven't been winning anything with him. So my point wasn't to, to, over, uh, to try to not overpay him and get him. My point was to not get him. Like, that, and that's going to lead me into my next question. It, like, before last season had started, we knew the players that, like, if for me personally, I, I, I thought I had a good grasp of the positions we should draft for. And I was offensive line and I was a running back, which we did do. So, there's a beast that is coming out of college this year by the name of Nick Bosa. And I was wondering if you guys thought it would be a wise move to maybe give a lot to trade up, assuming where we go. Oh, this man. is a hypothetical. Dude, we, Duke, have
1: we to... haven't even played one game in the 2018 season. you want to talk about the 2019 draft? The draft is <laughs> bro, eight bro, months I'm away.
3: Play, play with me here. No, play but, no, but Duke, <laughs> dude, I,
1: I have no idea where the Giants are
0: picking. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea who's picking first. I have no idea what kind of season Nick Bosa's going to have. I'd literally be making yeah. stuff up. What's the
1: point? That I I think we're getting way ahead of ourselves. And and here's the other thing that I wanted to counter. Olivier Vernon's been with the Giants for two seasons, by the way, Duke. The first season he was here, they won eleven games and made the playoffs. And the defense was one of the best in the league. And last season,
4: he's just injury prone. Guys, he's good. Injury prone? No, 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 no,
1: Duke. I'm sorry. I'm not going to let you get away with that. Okay? He was in the league starting in 2012. He played in 16 games every single game through 2016. Last year was the That's first the season he missed any games and he missed 4 games. That's a completely misleading statement, Duke. Completely misleading to say that I, he's injury prone. I love that mother
3: mother mother.
1: I don't want you to Well, no, <laughs> no, I'm going to get passionate You're about bad. it You're because guys bad. guys throw out the terminology. You. The facts do not show that. That's completely misleading. Completely misleading. Okay, okay, okay. We family. Don't hit me. Right. Well, I'm not. I, I understand your family. Sometimes you got to be showing tough love with family, though. Okay, you <laughs> know. True. I mean, no, Lance
4: got that heat today. Well,
1: right. I do got that heat. Oh, trust me, we can bring out some fire. I, I'm cooking up a storm today if you want to do All right, don't you <laughs> worry. No yeah, go ahead. No go um, ahead. Uh, <laughs> your thoughts. Your, your thoughts. Uh, going into the season, uh,
3: given Eli Apple's performance in pre-season, I know. I know it's preseason. But preseason has, for this team, been indicative of something. Of something, you know. So, assuming he doesn't perform the best of his abilities this upcoming season, should we get rid of him? Should we look to trade him for a guy like Martavis Bryant? Should we? Oh God, you know, no. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, not Martavis
0: Bryant. What are you kidding me? Martavis right, Bryant is 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 one mistake away from being suspended for sixteen games. Yeah. No way! <laughs> what are you kidding me? How many wide receivers do you want? By the way, you got like a million guys to throw the ball to. Why do you want a wide receiver? <laughs> Not that
3: shoot my bad. My bad. I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> what should we do? What should we do?
0: Well, right, okay, do do Duke, Duke. Real quick on on yeah, Eli yeah. on Eli Apple. I think people need to uh, temper expectations. Okay. I think Eli Apple this year will be a starting caliber cornerback. Now, am I telling you he's going to be a pro bowler? No. Am I telling you he's going to be an upper echelon starting corner? No. Do I think he's going to be good enough to start on more than half the teams in the NFL? Yeah, absolutely. He's going to give up some plays, and he's not going to be perfect. But given what's behind him on the depth chart, I would be very hesitant in looking to get rid of Eli Apple anytime soon. Yeah.
2: Okay. All
3: right, and and before I go, John, I had to ask Lance and Paula this question. Uh, I thought they both gave great answers, and I'll ask you a fun question. Um, Sure. Last week I asked it. If you could bring back one giant legend and and put him on this current roster, on this current team, who would you bring back and why? And no LT, because that is too easy.
0: Okay, no LT because that's too easy. Thanks, Duke. Duke, I appreciate the call. call. Yep, no problem. Thanks, guys. I would bring
1: back...
0: And the goal to win the Super Bowl is it? Yeah, I mean, I think that that obviously
1: you want to win. But but here's the here's the other thing to take into consideration, and and this was part of my answer. I also need to look at the makeup of the roster because I could bring back anybody. It's got to be somebody that's going to fill a need. I'm filling a team need with this. Okay, absolutely. That was my thinking process. All right, gotcha. So
0: offensively, I think you would have to think about Chris to play right guard. I think you'd think about, you know, pick whatever great right tackle you want, whether you're talking about a Creed McKenzie type or a David Deal type, someone like that. I think that's a real conversation starter. I wouldn't go. That came up with our conversation. I, I wouldn't pick a skill set. I, I wouldn't pick, you know, David Deal could be a left tackle, too, if Solter gets hurt. The versatility. So That's a nice yep. guy to move over. I wouldn't pick a wide receiver, tight end, or running back because I think they're setting those spots. Yep. Oh. Ooh. I think I know who i pick. How about Emlyn Tennell? Corner. Okay. NFL leader in history in interceptions. You bring another shutdown corner on this team? That's not bad. Pass rusher-wise, it's a 3-4, so I'm not sure Strahan makes sense because he's not a 3-4 outside linebacker. I would consider O.C. I like O.C. standing up on the outside rushing the passer. I think about that. Carl Banks. came up. Carl Banks playing outside linebacker too. Rushed the passer a little bit. I wouldn't mind. We'll call Banks. That's fair. I mean, Sam Huff, right? Great middle linebacker. I think you got to think about him.
1: A lot of good linebackers to choose from. Mm. What about th- safety?
0: That's a good question. Do you bring back Everson Walls? Right. Think about
1: that. Natural role. Well, yeah. Guys like that
0: trying to think about the great safeties of Giants Spider. I have to go Lockhart to was another guy that we brought up. Oh,
1: Spider's not bad. So, yeah, because you know, that's where I went. I'm sticking I with Emlyn Tunnell. I want to go corner. Oh, no, that's fair. One of I, the best I, corners I in NFL history. To. Secondary would be where I go. And then uh, I believe Paul also brought up the name uh, Rosie Brown. Oh, so, that's the
0: great tackle you yeah. bring back. You that, know what? That was another one. 100% yeah. Rosie Brown. That's yeah. a great call. If you want to go offense, it's Rosie Brown. If you want to go defense, I'm going to go Emily. Yeah,
1: I would say offensive line on offense and Secondary player on defense. That, that was my mindset when you evaluate the roster. I would right think now. pass rusher too. Yeah, but I. I, I that I, that's would be number three. Pass rusher. I, I would go three. I mean, I'm. I'm still intrigued by what this depth chart is going to produce in the regular season. On paper, in the preseason, it looks encouraging. I like we'll that see what question, happens to though. Vernon's it's ankle injury, question. but it's a good one. Yeah, it's a good Absolutely. question.
0: We want to remind you that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the year. Uh, Let's go to Dave and Cranford. He's up next. What's going on, Dave?
5: Hey, guys. Man, I tell you, it's awesome when the two of you are together. There's a certain energy between the two of you. Yeah, that's because we we don't like each other. It's okay. (laughs) You, 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 yeah. Hey, when you disagree, it's the best. It's like you must listen to radio. So I mean, it's it's awesome. Dave,
0: so, Dave. Unfortunately for the both of us, we've known each other for about fifteen years, <laughs> and there there's a lot going on here.
1: Yeah. So Oh yeah. Okay. It's a problem. That a lot makes, of history. Yeah. That yeah. Makes
5: yeah. It even, that makes it even better. John. Yeah. There's so, a reason
1: why my I, chair I, is a little more to the <laughs> left, though, uh, <laughs> when John is sitting on that side. Yeah.
5: I love it. So so just two quick things to get you guys input on. I, I mean, I think to step back on this whole Adele thing. I, I mean. You know, it's amazing to me if, you know, somebody wants to nitpick this and the contract that or whatever. I, I really don't care. The fact of the matter is that Gettleman and Shermer deserve a lot of credit. Um, Maritou. the way that this is handled, I, I, I'm shocked. I, I, I'm shocked that this is done at the time that it's done. Um, I, I, think, I think the timing couldn't be better as far as Odell himself. I think the team... And the way that he's uh, treated, I think the way it went down, I, I mean, it, it, it's remarkable. And, and and I think if there was, you know, I mean, there were so many opportunities for this to become a major distraction. And the fact of the matter yep. is it didn't. And I think I think a lot of people inside the organization deserve a lot and of And
0: Dave, give credit to Odell, too. Because if Odell didn't show yep. up here and do everything he had to do in, in OTAs, and mini minicamp, and training camp, we wouldn't be here either. So he gets just as much credit as the Giants people in the front office. Because you're right, this could have went could have went sideways a million ways, but both sides did what they had to do to get to where we are. And if you would ask me before the year what the when the ideal time would be to figure out a contract, it would have to be far enough along so that the Giants know that he's healthy, but you know not so late that you interfere with the start of the regular season.
1: So this is, like you said, really, they hit the sweet spot. I mean, you don't get much better than yeah. this. Can okay, coming right down to the wire, but not on the fringe of it's before the fourth one, season or, game or whatever even. it may be. Yeah, and yeah. the other thing that I want to add that we didn't bring up, and we'll let you continue, Dave, on this topic, in the release that the Giants sent out, Yesterday, John, I don't know if you noticed, there was a Dave Gettleman quote. And he, what he said was, I loved when Odell Beckham spoke to the media and said, It will get done when it will get done. He loved the fact that Odell Beckham, to your point, he didn't feed into the frenzy. Yeah. And Odell answered answer, things the yeah. way he should, which is, let's keep things calm. There's nothing to panic about at this point. And Dave, he
0: said multiple times that he never. Worried about this not happening, he believed yeah. it was going to happen, yeah. and I think that's important. When both sides, when, when both sides want the same thing, it's usually going to happen. Maybe not if one of those guys is John Gruden, but yeah, otherwise, yeah. it's yep. going to happen. <laughs>
1: Khalil Mack, yeah, right yeah. there. Your
5: point, your, your point is great, hundred percent. I mean, I, I don't think there's any question that Odell deserves as much credit. Both sides, and, and I give them, I give them a lot of credit. I, I, I think tied into that was the interview yesterday that I'm sure you guys saw from um, Jack Rabbit. And he talked about you know um, the famous kind of you know relationship building with Shermer going to the lunchroom and that sort of stuff and 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 I think that's a big point to this team. I mean you know if you look at last year, I mean there was a million different issues, injuries, you name it. But the culture, you know, the camaraderie, there there was so many breakdowns. And the bottom line is, you see Shermer now. You know, I, again, he's he's got to win. He's got, you know uh, that goes without saying. But a good place to start is to hear players, and I think you saw it in Odell. I think you see it in, in Jackrabbit. You've heard it consistently this summer, which has been the relationship that Shermer has gone out of his way. So I, the only other comment I would ask for you guys is, is, is maybe to make something about, about Jacksonville in week one sure. to bring it back a little bit to football. Of course, yeah. And that is And that is, you know, it's very fascinating when you think about it that that as we scout them, we have all of last year's tape to look at offensive and defensive schemes. Now they're going to make some adjustments, no question. Yeah. But how does Jacksonville scout us? What What do they do when they when they look at us? And, and Paul's brought this up, and I totally agree with him. I think it's a big advantage for Shermer and his staff to you know have a different you know a different level of personnel, have a different scheme. And, and I'm telling you, I think that game in Jacksonville is going to come down to turnovers on defense and special teams play. Um, wouldn't surprise because me. To, you know, yeah. Because they're just a tremendous defensive team, and they're going to push us beyond belief. But So I'd love to get you guys' comments. I love talking to both Great. of you. Thanks for taking my you call. Got it. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Remember,
0: it is an advantage in that way. It's going to be hard for them to game plan. no doubt about it. But what if the Giants' offense and defense aren't hitting it all cylinders yet? What if they haven't reached their peak efficiency because the players haven't played in
1: real games yet in the system? So there are two sides to that. Yeah, category. haven't had as many reps sure. under their belt. Actually, I brought up this point yesterday. First of all, if you are Doug Marone and his coaching staff, you start game planning with respect to your opponents all the way back in February yeah, and you're March. you Vikings Correct. Games. So that Correct. was exactly what I was getting to. I think from a logistics standpoint, John, They've looked at a lot of Viking stuff. They looked at a lot of Cardinal stuff just to see the scheme. And on Minnesota's offense last year, I've built this parallel a lot. It's not identical, but Minnesota had two great wide receivers in Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. Okay, you've got Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard. They relied on Kyle Rudolph, who did a great job setting the tone in the middle of the field. Giants have Evan Ingram. Dalvin Cook was drafted. Saquon Barkley revamped offensive line, which was completely sure. new. Mike Remmers and Riley Reef were signed. Pat Elfline was drafted at center. Will Hernandez is drafted. Patrick Omame and Nate Solder are signed. So I think you could get a lot from watching Minnesota just to see how they line guys up and how they structure it. So, you know, yes, on the surface, it seems overwhelming for Jacksonville. I think, though, the Jaguars did a lot of homework beforehand. I don't think it's going to be that much of a rude awakening for them. No, I'm sure there'll be some surprises though. I'll like anything else out. and I'm sure I'm sure Jacksonville is changing things up because right. listen, they just lost Marquise Lee, by the way for the season. It's a strike to your vaunted well, Jacksonville wide yeah, receiver core. he's down there. You know, Are you going to survive? Oh, I'm definitely going to survive because Keelan Cole and D.D. Westbrook played the majority of the I snaps last you, season. Sorry. No, you opened that. the door for it. So I'll, <laughs> and, and Dave opened the door too. So if there's any window for me to talk about the Jacksonville receiver core, it's going to be here. I didn't bring it up. Just when you watch this show on replay, I don't want to get any angry tweets, okay? This was brought up by the callers and this guy to the right of me. Those two guys filled in for Alan Hearns Okay, And Alan Robinson, as you chuckle and giggle like a little schoolgirl, they had plenty of reps. So I think they'll survive. Anyway, let's get back to the subject at hand.
0: Well, the point that he made, I thought was a good one, too, on Sherman. I've said this on the show before, at least I think I have. Some coaches, Lance, and I think even in some ways until the very end, Tom had trouble doing this. Tom Coughlin, he was here. They have trouble getting out of the coach persona. They're always the coach. No matter where and when they see the guys, they're always the coach. You know what I mean? Pat Shermer's different. Like, you can get into a conversation with Pat Shermer and for a few minutes forget that he's the head coach of the team. You know, and he can talk to you on a human level. And I think he's very good at sitting down with some of these players and just interacting with them like, some guy talking to another guy. He's not always being, you know, wearing the whistle and trying to be the coach and doing all that yeah. stuff. He's like a, He can act like a real human being and step out of the head coach persona. And I think that's the type of stuff that Janoris Jenkins was talking about. Because what did he say? Whenever you see a head coach sit down to you, what are you worried? That you did something wrong, right? Well, why does it have to be that
1: the way? The intimidating fact.
0: It doesn't have to be that way. Why not just be, when you're not on the field or you're not trying
1: to teach something, be a real person. And I think that does help. No, I think that's a great point. The other thing that I'm interested in, I don't think he's ever been asked this, unless maybe you had some conversations behind closed doors when Bob does the radio interview and so forth, is you know he's got a son in college, John. You don't think that that relationship maybe helps him to relate to some of the younger players on the team? I have not talked to him about I, that. I'm, I'm wondering whether or not having a son in college football who's a quarterback, too, and being able to relate to that and understand the younger generation perhaps helps him. And the other guy that I'd be curious to know whether or not that helped him is Jack Del Rio. Because Jack Del Rio's son, if I'm correct, was the quarterback at Florida before he got hurt when he was coaching the Raiders. And you wonder, you're looking at those games a little bit differently because you have a kid on the team. And does that help, perhaps, your relationship with the players? Just something I'm throwing now, out here. I'll say this,
0: though. Paul Dottino has a daughter that only graduated college a few <laughs> years ago, and he cannot relate real
1: well to young people. So, I, Well, I'm that's not because sure I'm I don't know how much X's and O's talk he gets <laughs> into it with her. <laughs> Come on, John. You know, it's a little apples and oranges here. Okay? <laughs> but I,
0: I, I see your point with that. We want to remind you that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. Antonio in Manhattan is up next. Hi, Antonio.
4: What's going on, Lance and John? How are you guys doing today? What's up, pal? How, How are, well are you,
1: Antonio? How's things with you?
4: I'm glad I'm calling in today because there's just so much I want to talk about. I'll try to zoom it up, though. I know you guys only have an hour. I just want to say I want to, I want to pat myself in the back because I said a couple of things. I said JPP didn't fit the scheme, he got traded. I was speaking to you two guys um, way back when and I told you guys he just didn't fit the scheme, he got traded. Follow
0: the money. I said I
4: I said a free safety Thompson didn't fit I'll this say. scheme because he couldn't block. He couldn't. He can't make open field tackles. Maybe he can. Maybe he's gonna get better. But right now, he just couldn't.
0: Antonio, I hate he's to not, tell you, uh, a safety that yes. can not make open field tackles doesn't really fit any scheme. There isn't any scheme where they say, you know what, our safety doesn't <laughs> yeah. have to be able to tackle. Don't worry about it. Everybody else will clean it up for you. Come on, Dad. Yeah. You no,
4: know, but listen, I'm pretty sure that if he was outstanding in terms of coverage. They'll still put him on the field to play outfield, you know, to get that deep, that deep safety. Tackle's they'll still important. leave him there because uh, the, the best corner in the league, supposedly, I mean, the best corner of all time, arguably, you no know, prime time. He was known for not making tackles. Safeties and corners,
0: was- no, 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 no. The safeties and uh, corners are two completely different positions now.
4: But okay, but we're talking about now the NFL, which is the passing league. They, if you have an outstanding free safety that could cover everything that you know on the pass. I'm sure that they'll let him ride even if he's a poor tackler. But he wasn't even that. You know what I'm trying to say? Well, but you know, he's the but, last
1: line of defense, Antonio. I mean, Antonio you know, here's the point. Right. You said
0: he's not that. So if you can't tackle and you're not great in coverage, I don't care what scheme right. you're in. You're not going to play. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Right. And that's why I don't think I,
4: – I think he's barely going to see the field If that. I think that we're going to have, you know, three safety formations – um, at times, when it comes to this defense, I think you're going to see landing inside. You're going to see two different safeties on the top. You might see Thompson sometimes to get get on the field, in that sense. that's when he's going to see the field. The other thing I called the ball and said was OBJ was going to be the highest paid, but it doesn't take the geniuses to, to know that. It's just again, like you guys mentioned, it was
0: timing, and you
4: know. All right, and, Antonio, player. do you have, do
0: you have any questions? I I, I mean. I, I, honestly, I don't I think. I, I, I'm telling you honestly, I don't think a lot of clothes out there are interested in you telling, saying, "I told you so" for five minutes. So, <laughs> if you have some questions or new comments, please go ahead. Here, here's here's
4: what I want to kind of talk about. I just want to say that I think that the turnaround for the for OBJ it was when that controversial video came out. That's that's that, when I think it turned around be. for him. It could be. Um And you know, everything changed. His tweet, his tweeting changed. I, he's just been a different person. I think that you know maybe his internal group spoke to him and they had you know something like that. Much props to the Giants on that. What I want to talk to you guys about is, you know, I love seeing the pistol formation. I want you guys to get your input on this. I want to, see, I love seeing the, input, the pistol formation on this offense now because I mentioned before how Eli needs the pistol formation because for play action, uh, you know, it, it's better to be halfway away from the line than to being right up on the line because you have to drop back and all that stuff. What do you guys think in terms of the pistol formation? And then the other question is, if you guys saw that deep ball to Latimer, what nobody has been pointing out is the block by Shane Smith. I think it was Shane Smith that made a big Oh, he had a lot block. of time on that Gate. throw. Uh, I'm sorry.
1: No, he had a lot of time on that throw. Yeah, Eli made it. Well, I thought the okay, offensive Tony line did a great time. job on that play as well.
4: Saint Smith picked up a great block. I just, you know, little things like that. I feel like we're not talking enough, and that's what's getting me excited. And I see you guys at uh, Antonio I'm on Twitter. So if uh, you guys, you know, I, I just sorry, I do want to thank you two guys because you guys are very, very on top of things and appreciate that. You guys that. are the most ground, uh, you know, ground level guys in. Uh I appreciate I that, take Antonio. I think my, my, uh, my response is off the air. Thanks, Thanks for the guys. phone call.
1: Thanks, Antonio. You appreciate the call, buddy. Good stuff. Um, why don't you take one? Well, point? I was just going to say play action. I mean, forget the pistol formation. John, you got to be able to run the football.
0: Lance, I want to see him. on. The, do you know why I'm excited? I'm not excited about being a pistol. I'm excited to see him under center. <laughs> Eli yeah. was at his best. Remember when the remember when the Giants never put Eli in, in shotgun? Of course. Like in 08 when they were the best yeah. team in the league and he was never in shotgun? Eli likes playing under center. So the heck with the pistol. He's old school, yeah. I think play action is so much more effective when you're under center. And he's under center so much more. It's glorious. No, I
1: agree with you. But the other layer of that is is specifically the play action is you've got to force the defense to bite. And they were getting the Jets to bite on Mm -hmm. some of those plays in the last preseason game. So that, to me, is the most important aspect regardless of the formation. The other thing I wanted to throw out with respect to what Antonio just mentioned, if they do go with three safeties, which I think is possible, I think it's going to be more likely that that third safety is going to be a William Gay if he makes the team. Because he can do a couple different things. And he can play in the slot. So that's how I think you may see the additional safety. A guy like Curtis Riley or William Gay that they can move into a cornerback position. That's how I could see that maybe becoming a popular alignment. Alex in Bergenfield, he's up next. Hey, Alex, what's going on, buddy?
6: Doing good. What's up, John and Lance? How are you guys doing?
1: Go ahead, doing well, Alex. What do you got for us?
6: Um, yeah, first I just want to say thanks for everything you guys do. Um, and it was great to get through to you guys. I want to hit on two points. Thanks for calling. One was a question. Thank you. One's a question. The other one's a statement. So the first question is, I know that one of the concerns, uh, listen to all the shows, is that the linebacker, right? Like Ogletree on the coverage, and I know on third downs they've been bringing in Ray Ray Armstrong and taking out uh, Goodson. But I was wondering, Lorenzo Carter with his versatility, athleticism, and in college he actually did that. He 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 was a cover linebacker. Do you think there's any possibility he might be able to to play that spot or maybe on third downs?
0: I don't. Um, I don't think that's how the Giants envision using him hasn't done that at all in training camp, uh, playing that 3-4 inside linebacker position. I think the Giants see Alex's future as a pass rusher. That's how they want to use him. And frankly, uh, we have no idea the severity of Olivier Vernon's injury when he'll be back on the field. They're going to need him as a pass rusher. So um, I do not see them making that big of a leap with a, with a position adjustment for him.
1: Yeah, I agree with uh, John Alex. Uh, I think for the short term, they envision him as a guy just get after the quarterback. And if you recall... When Lorenzo Carter met with the media, I don't know, maybe two, three weeks ago, he was asked about, you are such a versatile player when you were in college, what has been the difference now? Well, they just tell me, focus on the quarterback. They're not telling me to drop back in coverage, so... Based on that, based on what we've seen at practice, based on the games, and he's been effective in getting to the quarterback. He has shown his ability to really collapse the pocket. I think that's his first priority. Now, down the road, Alex, you know, when he learns his craft of being a football player and gets a better feel for the scheme, it's very possible they expand his role. But I think early on, rookie year, pass rush, get after the quarterback, that to me is going to be his primary thing.
6: Okay. All right. I get it. I, you know, I just thought that maybe. He could use him there But I see what you mean Especially well, But, but as you mentioned To your point
1: be, Before we let you continue I didn't mean to cut you off You know Ray-Ray Armstrong You're right Has increased his playing time Has played very well In the preseason Pat Shermer even Made sure to compliment him At the tail end Of his post-game presser After the Jets game And Ray-Ray Was with the first team They were using him In the nickel defense So I think they're looking For other linebackers That have the versatility To drop back in coverage Who have a little bit More experience And Ray-Ray Has been in the league For a lot longer Than Lorenzo Carter He's
0: certainly a good enough athlete to do it he is fair enough
6: um and then my statement is uh from yesterday's show i was listening i don't remember who called and said it but he asked about the uniforms yes and it's funny he mentioned that i know lance he said that you don't care about it but
1: absolutely I just don't wondering care if
6: you remember one of the years under coughlin i remember that the, it was a home game against the cowboys and they had that red uniform it was like the red tops i believe it was with the gray pants but, and, um, also, he gave out, like, red towels. He wanted everybody to have his red towels going. So it was, like, a Monday night game. And I just think that that uniform was awesome, That those red tops.
0: Well, Ken, I got some bad news for you. Um, <laughs> I would be beyond blown away, um, Surprised if we ever saw red jerseys ever. Oh, yeah. in the in <laughs> the right, yeah. in, in the foreseeable future <laughs> between the head coach and the owners, I
1: don't think yeah. they're gonna
0: dust the red out of the closet.
1: No. I don't. I don't
0: think that's gonna happen.
1: Yes, yeah, so I will echo John Santivitz because he just reminded me of something. So I know exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, All it's right, not guys. happening. Th- <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate taking my call. Thank you, big blue man. You appreciate got it. Alex. it. Appreciate yeah. the phone call. And, and if and if
0: you look around, just um, well, we're gonna play a little game here. When you guys look at practice footage and everything like that, remember last year Brandon Marshall used we to wear like the big red tights and all oh, I remember that. the red shorts and yeah. guys wore red on their sleeves and red in their pants? When you watch practice highlights this year, how much red did you see out there in the practice field that weren't on the quarterback's jerseys?
1: Not a whole lot. Now why don't you tell the backstory? The true rationale is you hate the Chicago Bulls, and you were tired <laughs> well, of seeing that I color. I am okay? very happy not to see red. Absolutely. That's why I'm saying. It's that's not, not exactly. my decision, though. But well, and I, needless I, to I say, think you're shell- selling yourself a little too short.
0: When with respect the, to the Giants influence. wore those red jerseys in the past, they also had a pretty terrible record. And ownership does not forget things okay. like that. Well, but the one
1: <laughs> thing that has not gone away is the quarterbacks still wear the red jerseys. So <laughs> that's, yeah, but that's, that's is, not going to be removed. But what do the red jerseys mean? Don't touch. Stay away. Yes, stay away. Correct. So what are they going to do? Oh, there we They're go. They're going to stay away. Look at this. This is like a psychological breakdown of the color red that <laughs> yeah, we just had on absolutely. Big Blue Kickoff we Live. Did. I didn't think we could get so deep on this. Two zero one nine three nine
0: four five one three. 201-939-4513. Final call of the show. Let's go to our buddy Pete in Staten Island. Hey, Pete. Hey, good afternoon, guys. How are you? How are you, buddy? Doing all right, good. Pete. Uh, How are you off, doing?
2: I have two shout-outs and congrats. Okay. Uh, one, two, uh Well, actually, you know what? I'm going to lead off with of you guys. Congratulations on your sponsor. Oh, you hit the you. big time! Oh, thank uh, you, and uh, I hope you get a bunch more because you have a great show. And uh, second that. is uh, congratulations to OBJ and his contract. Yep, um, John, you just and uh, Lance, you just alluded to uh, Eli under center. Okay, you know what's uh, attached to that? The Giants in a huddle,
0: uh, that too, which we
2: haven't seen in quite some time. And you know Pat's uh, offense being. Uh, you know, you're going to see a lot of ball control because if you saw the offense last year, I think it was like 60-40 uh, run pass. It, might, it actually might have even been close to 50-50. So the ball control part of it, uh, keep more defense fresh, slowing the game down a little bit. I think that's going to help, uh, you know, with the uh, turnaround, which I hope we have this year. Um, that's just one comment I wanted to make, and maybe you guys can uh, – come back with it. And the second thing I want to talk about is Carter. I absolutely love Carter. His skill set, uh, coming out of uh, college, um, his sideline to sideline, up late, well above average. Uh, they really didn't ask, you know, he was a jack of all trades, Yep. but he was not really asked to just speed rush like a chub or That's anything like correct. that. correct. Absolute, I
0: mean? Absolutely correct, Pete. You're 100% on the money.
2: Yeah, so I'm thinking that, you know, in my opinion with Vernon's injury, and we don't know, you know, the extent of it, uh, in my humble opinion, I think at this point, I think you have to go with the rotation of carter Barwin to keep him fresh and healthy because of his age. I think that's fair. And I think
0: we have to keep Moss.
2: Uh, because of just for depth purposes. Well, remember, you uh, you have a you choice. What's
0: your opinion? You also have Romeo Okwara you could put in that mix too, someone that Pat Shermer spoke well of at the podium the other day. So I think Okwara and Moss are the two guys that are kind of on the bubble in that group. And how many do you keep? Do you keep five? Do you keep six at that edge rusher position? Because you have Martin, Barwin, Carter, and Vernon are all obviously on. And then who's five and six? Uh, how many well, do you we, keep? So I, I got think Martin that's the question. on the uh,
2: opposite side, right? Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. He's on the opposite. Correct.
0: So I, I think that's the question you ask um, to me, and I hope I'm wrong. I think as a consistently playmaking defensive end, pass rusher, or at whatever outside linebacker, pass rusher, however you want to phrase it, I think Carter's probably a year away. I think he can give you something this year. Um, in spurts, and he'll make a couple big plays here and there. I still think Slashes he has to. Yeah, I think he needs to work That's on fair. his craft and his technique, and you know, right. learning really how work. to rush the passer. You know, but like you said, he wasn't a pass rusher in college. He was a linebacker. It's much. He was a four-three outside linebacker. He wasn't a pass rusher. So I, I think it's going to take him a year in the pros to kind of become that guy. And you see that with defensive ends sometimes it takes them a year, you know, to, to figure out how to succeed in the NFL. Not to say he's not going to be effective. He's not going to help, but. I think to expect like seven, eight sacks out of him in his rookie year is probably asking a lot. So I think you hit it. I think you hope Connor Barron can play as much as he can, as much as you want him to, because he's a pro, he knows what he's doing, he's a technician, and I think he can help. But look, there's nobody on this roster, and I don't want to be Debbie Downer here. Olivier Vernon's unique. Guys like that don't grow on trees. He's been murdering everybody that they put up against him this 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 year. Whether yeah. it was Taylor Decker in practice against Detroit, um, he was killing the Jets left tackle uh, in the game against the Jets. Yeah, he's so, been having a field no, day. No, he's he, he's he's been an animal. You don't replace a guy like that. You figure it out and you do your best. But there is no easy answer if Vernon's out for at, an extended period of time.
2: Yeah, at this point, um, is it? Um, are they saying that it's a? Um Close to a high ankle sprain? Is that the way they're describing it? or? They've, they've or des- no?
0: Pete, they've described it as an ankle. So that's all we got. And Pat Shermer was an asked about Olivier <laughs>
1: Vernon again earlier today and is no continuing change. to classify it as day-to-day. It's an ankle. That's his status. Ankle, day-to-day. He has an ankle. Yep. Yeah.
2: <laughs> 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 all right. And then just the last thing, guys. Uh, what's your comment about what I was saying about being in the huddle, slowing things down? Uh, Eli on the center. What's your opinion on that?
0: I always thought, and Pete, thanks for the call. I know Eli... you welcome, l- and you guys are great. Hey, you too. Pretty appreciate appreciate it, it, Pete. Thanks. <sighs> Look, Eli likes to work in the huddle. He likes to go fast. So that's true. I know that's true. He said that to me. He likes to do it. But I believe there is an advantage to, to going into the huddle during the game. Um, I just think there is. I think it, it, there's a different pace to the game. Like you said, I think you slow things down There are legitimate questions about how good this defense is going to be. You want to maybe keep him off the field a little bit, buy him some time. You know, when, Long you, when you're going fast and you go three and out and 35 seconds
1: go off the clock and your defense is going back on the field, it's not good sometimes. Yeah. Well, that's you. the Chip Kelly school of thought, the right. year where mm-hmm. the Eagles offense was doing great, but they had the lowest time of possession and the defense was on the field all the and time. they got and destroyed. Or down yeah. over the course of the season. So, I mean, I'm completely with you there, John. Though I would argue the benefit of going fast paced is also you prevent the substitutions, you know, for the defense. You keep them on their toes. So, yeah, there's pros and cons to both ways. I just think the more you mix it up the better and more versatile you're showcasing your team but i don't know i mean listen I'd have to really go through the numbers and stats to see whether or not a team that huddles John is more efficient from an offensive standpoint it's
0: I'm not, not. going to go that far trust me if there were metrics that showed that then nobody, everybody would be doing nobody it.
1: would huddle correct so you know you gotta see and feel out how the game flow it's is all concerned about
0: the players on the field Without a doubt, That's the execution what it's about. yeah
1: so you got to call a good play. you got to be able to execute. The blocking has to be on point. You that's, do that, whether you huddle or not, yeah. you're going to be I playing mean, that's good That's why
0: football. the whole game plan thing, like Eli has said this. He goes, every offense runs the same plays. Just call it something different. That's all it is. I mean, it's not like some coach has this secret super playbook that nobody can copy. The damn play's on tape. Any coach can copy any play they want. They can watch the thing on tape a million times. There's no secrets. Yeah.
1: It's about making plays. It. I, I know it's simplistic Beat and it's boring, but that's the truth. Yeah, yeah. It's man whipping man. One want to Patrick favorite things to say. It's man whipping
0: man. That's how you win. And it's the coach's job to put the player in the best situation to whip the man. And that's how it goes. You gotta win. It's about the players. Now, obviously, sometimes coaches become a problem, and you have to make changes. We know that. We've seen that. Okay, but if you, I don't care if you marching out. You know, Bill Walsh is your head coach, Vince Lombardi is your offensive coordinator, and Tom Langer is your defensive coordinator. If you have bad players, your team's not going to be good. You
1: need the horses to win races. Yeah, that's it. Period. So stop. You could have the best mind on your coaching staff who comes up with the most creative schemes if the players don't execute and the blocking is not good. It really makes no difference what's going on with the scheme at the end of the day. No. I've said this too. If you look at quarterbacks, uh, I'm not trying to get off topic, but I think it's related to it, John. And some of the QBs who just didn't click very early in their career, you know, part of it is the change in offense every single season, and the playmakers not being around them. Alex Alex Smith Smith is the perfect—he's the poster child of my point. I love using Alex Smith because what do you think? That all of a sudden, magically, he went to Kansas City and now learned how to play football? (laughs) And all those years (laughs) in San Francisco? And in fairness, when he was going up against the Giants, he had some good years with the Niners. But why did he have his good years with the Niners? Because they actually gave him some stability with respect to the personnel around him and the scheme. It's no coincidence. And I will say this. Coaches, I
0: think, can— hold back players sometimes if they try to fit them into things that don't fit into what they, they do They don't well. adapt the scheme to them. And that's what yeah. Coach Sherman and James Betcher have both been very clear about, that they will um, create and adapt their schemes to the talent that they have around them. Both guys have been very clear about that, which I think is also very Absolutely. Important. Thank you, Lance. You got it. Are you on tomorrow?
1: Yes. With? Are you on tomorrow? No. I,
0: I, I know I'm not until Friday. You're not on Friday. I believe it's Paul it and must, I. It must be Paul. I docs, believe right? it is Paul and
1: I tomorrow. Yes.
0: Could be. Maybe you and Fegels on Thursday, probably before the game. Yes, it's Fegels and I on Thursday. Okay. So right. it'll be Lance and the Tito tomorrow. I'm back, and Paul and I will give our final 53 men rosters on Friday. That'll be fun. Why don't you send me yours too? Yeah, absolutely. So you can we'll put be. it on the record. You real got fun. It. And uh, we'll do that on Friday show. And then we do have a show on Labor Day, and we start previewing Week One of the NFL season. It's coming. Fast. For Lance Metal, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you next time on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. See you tomorrow. Have a good one.